whole experience came about from three days of a non-ordinary experience for me, a note, where I was on a couch, moving in and out of regular and irregular states of consciousness. I was high in fever and I had some spontaneous things happen. There was spontaneous shamanic journeying and healing through my ancestral lines. Um, there was processes of things coming forth that I just needed to be with. And eventually it moved to this um, really full-blown fast process as we were moving to the crown now of um, my identity, all of the layers of my identity and self were being ripped away from me very, very fast. And it was quite scary at the time actually because I, the I that I was identifying with, was desperate to hold on to some sense of self. And at the very end there, I remember saying, you know, I am Nicole whoosh, gone. I am girl on couch, whoosh, gone. Everything was gone until I was a single tiny speck of light. That was it, no more, no less than a tiny speck of light. <sighs> and that was my awakening moment, I guess. It was an awakening moment for me. Everything in my life changed from that point forward because I realized every construction that comes forth from that speck of light. If that speck of light is all that I am, everything that comes forth is a construction. It's a game. I can, I can make. You got to accentuate the positive. Wow! I feel good. A little bit of feel good goes a long way. You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just fad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? Hello and welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. So wonderful to be with you again. I know I repeat those words every show, but you know what? It's true. Now, have I got a spiritual mover and shaker for you today? <laughs> Her name is Nicole Gruel. Welcome to the show, Nicole. Thank you, Karen. So wonderful to be here. I met Nicole through Karina, who has been on the show. She told me about you and we connected and we talked about your books. And anyway, we're very aligned in our intentions. So let me just read your bio here. She's actually a doctor. Dr. Nicole Gruel is an author, speaker, transformational coach and a descendant of a long line of samurai. She has spent over two decades in exploring human potential. After a near-death experience and a sudden loss of several family members, she was thrust into the complex field of non-ordinary realms, where she learned how to collaborate with their capacity for positive change. She has made it her life's mission to help people experience what she calls notes, or actually somebody else coined that acronym, non-ordinary transcendent experiences to make the most of these exceptional events and share their gifts with the world. This is what we're very aligned with. This is what the show is all about and this is what you're doing too. So I just love that. Nicole lives in Sydney, <laughs> a little bit north of me, in the beautiful <laughs> northern beaches where I used to live. And I've got in front of me, 
a whole list of things that you've done. I might rattle off a couple of them. A doctorate in integral and transpersonal psychology, board member of IAN's International Association of Near-Death Studies, co-founder of IAN's sharing groups online, mentor and life coach of American-centered integral and spiritually transformative experiences. Oh my God. Gifts, comparison of vibe training, blah, it goes on and on and on. If you want to read all her credentials, it just goes on and on forever. I'll put it on the webpage, on my webpage, and you can see everything that Nicole's done. Uh, she's also trained in various healing movement and energy psychology modalities. So, as I say, she's a bit of a mover and shaker. <laughs> and, like me, she's always, she also has a podcast show, and so she's presenting other people's stories but we're going to share her story today. So again, welcome to the show, Yay. darling one. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, it's so wonderful to connect with uh, this audience, with this community, and goodness knows where our conversation is going to go today. I look forward to it. I know. Both of us don't know. It's just going to go where it goes. <laughs> but listen, you're from a, a long line of samurai. Tell me a little bit about that. That's fascinating. Absolutely. So that's on my mother's mother's side. And it's been traced back uh, over 700 years uh, through names and lineage. So we can trace that back. Just a year ago, I think it was, um, I actually went back to Japan and went to the grave site as well, where many of those ancestors are buried, which was a really powerful experience um, to go back with three generations and visit that, that spot. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a long line on the maternal grandmother. And interestingly, it's been my maternal grandmother that has shown up in some of my experiences and been a guide. Um, I feel a guide to my journey in many ways uh, through the unseen. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. I met your mother at your book launch. So gorgeous. In fact, a few of your family there or feeding us and looking after <laughs> us. Wonderful. You never go hungry for one, from one of our events. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You're so organised. I, mean, I didn't manage to get a book launch out, but I thought, and I went to your event. It was so beautiful. You had the lights and you're, it was in a beautiful setting. It was so funny because when we were chatting online, I said that I used to run the Academy of Light in the Lakeview room at the tram shed and you went, oh, honey, you should say that. That's where I'm having my book launch. So That's right. <laughs> it is a beautiful spot. I tell you what, people that are listening in Australia, uh, you know, overseas Australia is so beautiful. But you had a near-death experience. I think that your near-death experience, like, like many, maybe you don't have huge memory of it, but you didn't have like guides and things come to you just left your body let's go let's talk about it what happened sure, how old were you sure. so um i was 14 years old oh wow and, uh, i was in new zealand whitewater rafting with a friend and we went down this amazing river and it had a 10 meter um drop on it i'm not sure what that is in feet it's pretty high and so we went down the first time, had a great time. We thought, let's do this again. Yeah. So we went up the second time. And the second time we went down the drop, the boat tipped, the raft tipped. Everybody, I think, went out. I certainly went out. And um, <clears throat> I dropped underwater. Now, being a really strong swimmer, which I am, I put my arms out because I had a swimmer's reaction to try and swim. But that's the wrong reaction to have when you have 10 metres worth of water pounding on you because it actually pushed me right down to the bottom of the fall. Oh, wow. So next thing, I'm in black water. I didn't know which way was up or down. So there was no point trying to swim in any direction. And um, 
there was a moment of panic, sheer panic, as in this is the only breath that I have. And very soon after that was followed by absolute calm. It was still, it was calm, it was so peaceful. And in the midst of the black water, right in front of me, I just saw this horizon of light open up. And for those of you that have seen the movie Ghost with Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore, that moment when when Sam meets Polly, I think her name is Molly again, and that horizon opens up, it was exactly like that. Oh, wow. Uh, beautiful. When I watched that movie Ghost, I bawled my eyes out because I'm like, oh, that's it. That's the moment. You know, that's <sighs> when Hollywood can capture those moments. Yeah. They're absolutely. doing it more and more right now, which mm. means there's a lot of experiences over in Hollywood weaving their magic. Yeah. Um, so that horizon opened up and through that horizon of light came my maternal grandmother, the one from the samurai side, who interestingly was alive at that time. And that's a bit yeah. unusual in near-death experiences to have a then living person coming. Right. So she came and then um, my, my first dog, Pet, came as well, who was deceased. And as an only child, pets were like my siblings. So I was very attached and close mm. to that dog. Mm. So I had a living spirit and a, and a deceased spirit come and greet me in that moment. Now I was 14 years old. And so, you know, I was there going, well, this is a bit unusual. What are you doing underwater? That was my thinking at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I heard this voice right here that said, Nicole, remember to breathe. It was a very, you know, stern kind of male voice, I think. Nicole, remember to breathe. And on hearing that, I simply got the memory that we'd had that morning of curl in a ball because we had these safety jackets on, curl in a ball and you rise to the top of the water like a cork. So my, you know, my, my thinking brain kicked back in then. Um, and so I did just that. And sure enough, I came to the top of the water and the water went light green and to the whitewash. Up I was, went back in the boat. And that was the end of that. You know, I was 14 years old. I was overseas with a, with a friend. We laughed it off that afternoon and, you know, had a joke like, thank goodness we didn't die because they would have found a packet of smokes in our suitcase. That was, you know, we were 14 years old, right? So that was really, I just left it at that. Um, and I didn't come to realize until later on in my 20s and the older I get and now that I work with experiences and I hear these stories on such a frequent basis, I now understand the power that that formative that that experience had in then formulating how I walk the world and my worldview simply in that I had something extraordinary happen and I didn't question it at all it happened I knew it could happen and so I just walked forward in the world I guess with some level of knowing and even expectation that the extraordinary is right there okay so to the 14 year old Nicole What's my dead dog and my grandmother doing underwater? Did you have an answer to that question? Did, like, did you get an answer to that? At that time, no. I, I think there was so much going on and it was quite drastic, you know, and we almost drowned that yeah. I just carried on afterwards. I don't know that I reflected much on that time uh, until later. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that getting back in the boat and navigating the rest of the rapids, you know, you kind of had That's other right. things to think about. That's but there right. must have been a time where you thought back and thought, like, what the, what happened? What was that all about? And it, it, it you know, inspired questions, questions that put you on this 
journey to discover the answers, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so within a six month window, I also lost my father um, quite suddenly on the other side of the earth. So I never got to say goodbye. And there were a few other family members as well. So I call that six month window, my death initiation. I had any death experience. There were several other deaths. And of course, this language didn't come until much later when I understood shamanism and that things like this can happen archetypally. Um, And again, it wasn't until later that I looked back and went, what was my grandmother doing there? (laughs) And she was alive at that. Like what, what, what on earth was that about? So, um, and, and to, to bring that full circle, just a couple of years ago when I was uh, giving birth, I had a revisit to a near-death-like experience. I would call it a near-death experience, really, because I think either I was on the verge or the, the child that I was delivering was on the verge. Um, and in a split second, I returned to that same horizon of light, um, oh. only this time I knew exactly where I was. Um, and I... I was conscious enough where I could still have conversation with people and actually explain where I was. So it was like consciousness was in two places simultaneously. And um, it it enabled me to make some very quick decisions in a dramatic situation, a birthing room. I mean, there's all kinds of drama going on there. And, um, and sure enough, the next day, the uh, doctor came and said, you know, lucky, lucky we did what we did when we did, because it was a close call. Um, They were almost going to be reviving the child. So well it's interesting lucky we did what what did they do you probably did it (laughs) well no they did they did an emergency cesarean oh okay okay. Uh, and I'm a very natural mama I was like as natural as it can go and the pregnancy was beautiful and the whole thing was amazing and I really strongly wanted to deliver naturally Um, and in the end that wasn't the way it was going to go and the funny thing that these experiences do for us, you know, in that moment of total clarity where I'd been resisting, resisting, and no, I don't want to go down that pathway. I just had a moment of total clarity and it was actually funny on the inside. I was laughing on the inside at the perfection of the moment that surrender, let it go. This is exactly how it's meant to be it's not at all what you want it to be or what you think it's going to be or what you were envisioning but this is exactly how it's meant to be oh look that surrender is so key I remember my birthing experience the same. You know, I want it natural. I had the acupuncturist there, had my crystals and everything and it not, none of it went that way. And in hindsight when I look back on it, you know, hanging on to what we think life is supposed to be like, whether it's your birth or life, like, you know, planning every little detail and not letting go and letting God, like that's the lesson in all of this. Like it's exactly how it's supposed to be, how it shows up is it's how it's supposed to be. Stop trying to change it. Just acceptance, go with the flow. And there's nothing like a birth, giving birth to teach you that lesson. Goodness. Uh, I got that lesson. Okay. So 14 year old father dies and how, so, so you're like a teenager, you're starting to ask questions like, who are we? Where do we come from? It kind of sounds a bit like my journey, actually. Uh, where did he go? Why was my grandmother in spirit and in her body? The, the questions are like shooting rockets, are shooting out of you, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I started asking those questions very young. My father yeah. told me that when I was seven years old, I asked him, what God do I believe? <laughs> and I guess, you know, as a seven-year-old, that meant I was looking for structure, 
I wanted a clear answer and show me the pathway. And, you know, my father gave me the biggest blessing and curse of my life. He said, darling, anything you want. And through my 20s, I kind of cursed my father for that. I'm like, why couldn't he just give me a clear answer so I knew? what direction to go. And of course, as that matured and as I traveled the world and as I sought my own answers, because he initiated my journey as a seeker into the world, I had the questions, he knew that. And so he blessed my way to say, go and discover it for yourself. I'm not going to give you any easy road here or answer, regardless of what his understanding was, which I still don't fully know. And he's not here anymore. So I can't quite get those answers from him directly. Um, (laughs) well, I I could, my, 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 my psychic skills with those that have passed are not as clear as others. So, um, yeah. And, and what that did later on was, of course, I then realized the blessing in that of thank you. Thank you for not giving me an answer then because it forced me on my way, on my jolly way. And that seeking, impulse really took me around the world, you know, through working in different industries, traveling. I backpacked like crazy all over the place, got myself into some pretty prickly, hairy situations at times when once I got out of them, I thought that was rather stupid, Nicole, but thank goodness we're safe. And, um, you know, I, I came to find after traveling so many places and meeting so many people that there are some common denominators. We eat, we shit, we pray. These are, these are pretty much factors, you know, that, that are no matter where we are in the world, people do these things. And um, when I came to understand that, that these are the human behaviors, regardless of the language and the culture and the dress and all the patterns, that just helped me get to the core of humanness and go, okay, there are just some basic things that we're doing as people and the rest is decoration. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. But really, there are just some core basic needs and desires that we're meeting. Yeah, we eat, we shit, we pray, we desire. <laughs> we desire everyone wants something hmm. until they don't. But everyone's on that trajectory of like, I want, I want to grow up. I don't want to grow up. I want to be happier. I want to be in love. I want more money. I want to be successful. Whatever it is, I want to be enlightened. That's the common thing that I think every human on the planet has. We, we want, we desire. Okay, let's get back to your grandmother in her body and in spirit. You know, this really speaks to the multidimensional nature of who we are as spiritual beings having a physical experience. So many people think because you're in body, you can't actually speak to the spirit of somebody. And of course you can like you saw and it's interesting that like what would you call it her higher self or her soul like came to meet you and her conscious self her human self probably didn't have any idea about that maybe at the time she had a thought of you but isn't it interesting that you could be conversing with her and her human self doesn't know yeah. Yeah. And and we never had the conversation um to follow oh. up on that afterwards. And um, you know, she interestingly, when she passed, she was actually a real gateway for me in understanding the movement between the living to the beyond. Right. Um, because in the West, when somebody dies, you know, it tends to be a very um secretive, private non-visible process that we go it's very clinical and and shut away 
Whereas in Japan, where this happened, the body is really a, a very whole part of the family and is present. So we went back to Japan. I watched the dying process as she was leaving. Thankfully, I was reading the book, the Tibetan book of living and dying at the time. And so I actually had some mind framework that helped me understand the layers that were leaving the body, you know, the, the material, yeah. the, the earth, and then the, the elements. And I watched those elements leave her over time. It was absolutely fascinating. Mm -hmm. So I could mm -hmm. see it in, in front of me. And then after she had passed, the body came back to the home and we slept in the same room as the body, mm. um, which at first totally freaked me out because I grew up, even though I'm Japanese and French, I still grew up in a very Western world in Australia. That doesn't happen here. I'd never heard of that common in Japan. And so to be in a sleeping space, a dreaming space with one who has passed, and then over the next few days, the community come and people feast around whilst the body is in the room and people remember that person's life and they celebrate it, they eat and they toast and they drink. It's beautiful. And that helped me with the grieving process because, of course, yeah. it's so up and down grief, especially when it's right in that moment and fresh. And all of those deaths that I had experienced, that death window from beforehand, her passing many years later actually for the first time helped me unpack all of that packed grief, that compounded grief from before that had been sitting there as a youth that I didn't have the tools to deal with as a teenager. I was a very angry teenager in many ways. Yeah. Went through a lot of rage and I had a pretty, you know, pretty wild teen years, let's put it that way. Rites and of passage. <laughs> Right. That's Rebel against everything. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and so there was a lot that needed processing that had just been packed and built into me. And so her, she was a very gentle person and her gentle passing as well enabled those layers to just organically um, unpack themselves. And so by the time she had passed on a new a new way of being had gone through. It was, it's really powerful that, that process. So how old were you when she dropped her body? Oh, well, I, that was a good, maybe 10 years on, I guess. So early to mid twenties. Yeah. So around 24 or something. Yeah. Um, okay. So you're a young adult and, uh, she was obviously, when you saw her in the light, she was obviously living in Japan at the time. Yep. Not that time and dis distance makes any, you know, has any, um, effect on seeing spirit you can be anywhere you can be in space I remember as a kid thinking you know this time space continuum that we live in how how sort of fixed we get on it thinking if somebody is an astronaut and they die in space will they still go to heaven <laughs> ah. <laughs> I had as a kid isn't it <laughs> like as if you got on the earth plane and you die will you still go to where you're supposed to go <laughs> Mm. like this time and space thing obviously in the spirit world they don't run with the same rules and so has she come to you from spirit since i i have since felt um an ongoing presence of my grandmother i feel her around um i i really get the sense that she is one of my protective guardian people yeah and hence that's why i speak about the samurai lineage because it she carries that spirit within her that's come through my mother's line we are a strong line of women and educators 
um, who, who have often challenged the status quo and done things a little differently, but always in integrity and always with um, a good level of discernment, um, you know, and that solid organization and discipline that is needed as you go through in a samurai type of way or any warrior warrioress type of way. And um, so I, I constantly feel that vibration around. That's yeah. Beautiful. You know, there's that fabulous quote. I don't know who it is. Maybe Martin Luther King. Um, something like peacemakers need to be as organized as war makers. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so it's great to have that sort of lineage. Like as we were talking about before, you know, being a spiritual mover and shaker. What did you write down on the little piece of paper? That's exactly what I wrote. Spirit centered movers and shakers, folks. I wrote these words down. Yeah. If you can even read my scribble. I wrote those words down five minutes before Karen contacted me. And those were the first words that she said when she jumped on the line. <laughs> but it's so true. You know, we, we need to get organized because the people that are pumping out crap in the media and, and creating wars and um, even many politicians, they're very organized. They're very structured and organized and on the ball. So uh, the spirit centered people need to be just as uh, on the ball and organized as the you know, I love that point because um, this this is a key part that I talk with people about in, in coaching as well. It's strategy, vision, strategy, action, implementation. There is so much woo out there and there is so much fluff. It's easy to get lost. And particularly for spirit-centered people who want to walk a particular way in the world and have had experiences and understanding without solid integration and grounding and the ability to um, then implement those big visions, those big ahas, those inspirations. One, it's really frustrating when you've touched upon something magnificent and it can't then be manifest in the world. Um, But two, we need that. The world needs these actions to, to come forth, particularly when they come from that much bigger perspective, that much more interconnected, empathic, wholehearted, um, whole-minded way of being. Yeah. Mm. Mm. I know. Well, infinite organizing power. You know, the universe is that infinite organizing power. I remember there's so many tangents we could go off. There was like, I wanted to get back to the sleeping with the body in the room, but I'll go back to that. Um, but that infinite organizing power, like if you think about the body, there's like trillions of chemical reactions going off in any one second. And there's this infinite divine organizing power. It's all orchestrating and organizing and talking to each other and collaborating for this, you know, this beautiful flesh suit that we're wearing to operate, to work. And so, yeah, uh, tapping into that infinite organizing power, um, just letting it all unfold with ease and grace. Coming back to sleeping with your, grandmother's body that's so interesting because in the west that would seem so i remember my best friend died in her 30s and when my grandmother died i wasn't allowed to go to the funeral let alone see the body and as a curious kid i think i was about seven i'm like i want to see what a dead body looks like right Mm -hmm. seriously curious Mm -hmm. and they just thought that was morbid and it would upset me and so i took my daughter who was probably around the same age she might have been younger to see my best friend's body in the funeral and she tells me today, like she's an adult now, that that still haunts her. So maybe mm. it's the maybe it's the collective paradigm we have around death in the West that's haunting her, because obviously in the East 
you're sleeping with dead bodies and that's all cool. So people aren't traumatised by it. That's it. And you think of India down by the Ganges at Varanasi where the body is taken, you know, and, and then burnt down by the riverside. And death is accepted as such a natural part in the cycle of life, which it is. We yeah. all die. Yeah, no one's we getting all, out of here alive. No one is, you know, <laughs> and, and, and great for that person who is, you know, I'd love to, I'd love to meet that folk. Um, but look, if, if that happens, it's going to be few and far between. between. So, yeah, it, it's got to happen at some point and we have to deal with um, the physicality as well. So there are cultures who do that in very respectful, sustainable ways. Um, somehow it, in, in the West, it's become this clinical separation. And yeah. so when you lose someone, it's actually quite traumatic. I mean, I've been to several funerals where the person goes, Next thing, the next encounter you have is probably at a funeral where for a brief window, you may or may not see that person. There's this cathartic release and, that's, and, and then that's it. And then people go off and have drinks and, and talk about it. Mm. So different to a two-week period of yeah. unfolding with a body, watching it at different processes and then the ashes and watching the ashes burn, then holding onto the ashes and it's it's just completely different. And after I came back from that experience to Australia, I I mourned for people here who could not have that experience. Mm. I I felt, you know, I understand how much grief there is around loss. I've lost a lot of people, and it we can we can make this easier for ourselves. That's the tragedy that we're not doing that. Yes. Death, you know, when I was screaming out to the universe, how can I make a difference in the world? Um, you know, my guide said, well, let's look at what creates the most pain in the world. And that's this idea of death, that there is loss, that there is a separation from love, from that one that you love or from the love within yourself. And that loss is a... Um, you don't actually lose anyone. You lose your connection to the love within you because you think you've lost someone. So that's what's causing all the pain in the world, you know, thinking that you can't have something you want, whether it's the love that you want or the person back in a physical body. That's why I love talking to people with near-death experiences and you do too because when you go home, they're all there. They're like, yeah, we're looking after you. We're watching you. We're talking to you, but you're not listening to <laughs> yeah, We're still here. And, and I find even with the near-death experiences, it can be really challenging um, integrating the difference between those moments when the communication is clear and that knowing is present. Yeah. Um, and even when people have spoken and met with all their loved ones, maybe they've had a life review, maybe they've had a life preview. Yeah. Who knows what they've had, what amazingness. Maybe they've met God, force, source, whatever you want to call that, it, um, creator, Something extraordinary has happened and yet being in the human physical form of every day with the constraints that there are around being human, even for those who have touched upon what might seem miraculous to others, they're still dealing with being a human. Oh, yeah. In a human form and relationships and yeah. job and career Ego. and pay the bills and, yeah, and these, these restrictions that we have. and um, that. In that 
sets up a whole other series of difficulties and challenges for people. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So did you notice, maybe you didn't, you were 14, that after your near-death experience, your brush with the light, your reintroduction to the light, that you had more a psychic ability, like empathic? You know, it's hard to say because I was 14. Yeah. And um, so I, I can't tell you clearly what was a result of the experience and what might have already been there or what was awakened okay. from it. Um, what I can say is I've always been incredibly um, empathic and, uh, you know, when I sit in a room with a person, I, I feel things. And so um, I will often feel things that are going on in someone's body. I'll feel emotions. I'll be able to read people quite easily. So that level yeah. of... Um, interconnectedness comes. Now, is that just part of my makeup as a human being? I don't know. Did that get turned on and turned up a little turned bit? Turned up a bit, yeah. yeah quite possibly. Yeah. The research that I ended up doing later on when I was doing my, my doctoral studies and I interviewed um, 20 people who'd had life-changing notes, non-ordinary transcendent experiences, that was the conclusion that I came to. And I didn't look to find that conclusion in the beginning that that appeared through the process that it's like these experiences and they don't have to be near death, but some kind of a brush with the extraordinary seem to either turn on or turn up the volume on yeah. the innate capacities that we have. Yes. And those is what we then call gifts. People walk through with giftedness. And so it's not like everyone who has um, say an out of body experience is then going to have psychic capabilities. It doesn't work like that. Some might, many may not. Different things in, in us get turned on and turned up. And I know that the ego and the personality get poo-pooed a lot. Um, mm. And I really, I, I actually find it fascinating because I find those interesting pieces of who we are as individuals and pieces of our personality and of our structured self, I'd, I'd like to call it the ego as the structured self, the organizing self, it's actually aspects of those that get turned on and turned up even more so that we become more capable of leadership in those areas of gifting in those areas. Um, hence I, I'm really all for, yeah, let's grow the person, <laughs> you know, let's discover what those strengths are for someone. Yeah. I think that empathy is such an important, uh, such an important quality in our society today because it's people that have indifference that do terrible things that they don't feel you know they don't feel their how it happened you know they don't feel other people so they don't care so um yeah the empathy is definitely ramping up especially in the younger generation and they don't know how to cope with it because they're feeling yeah. everything yeah 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 okay so you say in your book that you've had quite a few notes now i'm going to say something to you <laughs> I was debating whether I should. So I went for a walk a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago with my neighbour and I was telling her about you. It must have been just after we had our conversation, right? And I was saying, and, and you know, she, she's got this book called Notes, Non-Ordinary Transcended Experiences. And you know what she said to me? She said, is there any ordinary transcendent experience? <laughs> yes. And I said, you know, that's a really good question. What's an ordinary transcendent experience? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. It's an ordinary transcendent experience. So when uh, the guy who came up with the term William Broad, transpersonal psychologist, he wanted to bridge together three fields of study, which was transpersonal psychology, paranormal studies, and exceptional human experiences. Right. And when he's discussing it, he talks in one section exactly about that. What is ordinary? What is non-ordinary? Okay. And that is a subjective piece. So for example, someone who has, let's say big dreams or lucid dreams, there are some people who are really, really um, well-trained in lucid dreaming. If you have a lucid dream and you don't normally lucid dream, so a lucid dream for those who are unfamiliar is, is one of those dreams where you become very aware in the dream that you're having the dream. And sometimes you have the capacity to control and do things within the dream. If you, <coughs> excuse me, have not had a lucid dream and then all of a sudden you have one, you'll emerge out of that with that being a non-ordinary or out of your ordinary experience because your ordinary is that out of your ordinary. It's not normally there. Whereas for those who are deep in the world and they can enter lucid dreaming like that and they're, they're deep in several layers down of their, whatever, wherever they are, whatever they're doing, that has become their ordinary that the, the transcendent and what is for consensus society, non-ordinary, for that person has become a regular piece of who they are. Um, and so I've had people who say with psychic skills, for example, say, but I do that every day. That's not yeah. non-ordinary for me. And so the response to that is correct. It's not, it's not non-ordinary for you. It's regular, but for consensus society for mainstream society, these things look very non-ordinary, hence why they can either be held up on a pedestal as something miraculous or they can be totally, you know, you can be put in the loony bin. Or dismissed, yeah, as crazy. I think that it's really interesting. I think that where we are today, we have to really listen to the non-ordinary because we get so trapped in the ordinary you know, I had a client the other day who's in the corporate world. She's earning great money. She's got a great, you know, she's got it all sorted. Like she's got nothing wrong with her life, right? Except for this burning desire to quit her job and go live in a community in this in the country and draw. But none of that makes sense because how's she going to support herself? You know, she's blah 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 blah. blah you know, but um, that non-ordinary thoughts those non-ordinary like that's not an ordinary thought when I've got the great job and the great apartment and the great boyfriend and great social life you know I've got it made why would I listen to that crazy thought right because it's a non-ordinary thought yeah uh, I think that that's what we have to listen to you have to listen to the non-ordinary you know I feel we're in a time where we are starved of spirit we are starved of a soul-filled experience. And when I say we, I'm, again, talking about consensus. Consensus. Yeah. I know. I live in a bubble. So, I, you know, I had some friends over the other day and he was saying the same thing. Like, people don't know this stuff, Karen. People don't get it. People, and I'm like, God, everyone I speak to, I yeah. said, I'm just living in a bubble, right? And he goes, yeah, you are. And I'm like, <laughs> just live in a bubble of <laughs> conscious, creative, beautiful people like you, right? I'm just surrounded by you, both on the show and in my personal life. So I forget that, you know, when you say things like people are starved of spirit, 
uh, it's not my reality, but I guess yeah. it's many people's reality. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. And again, it gets back to the what is ordinary and what is non-ordinary. Like you, you know, my ordinary, my day-to-day is filled with people who have touched upon the extraordinary. So we're talking about all kinds of wild things. And yet these people are dealing with being an experiencer of the extraordinary in a very ordinary world. Yeah. And, and that's the painful point where you come back and people don't understand the words that you say. People don't understand the experience that you've had. Um, it can feel very isolating. People might not even have the language around something that has been so incredibly, maybe even the most profound thing they've ever experienced. There might be no words around that. And so relationships can break down. There could be dissatisfaction in the workplace big questions about what am I doing with my life? All of those painful pieces arise um, and, of course, can be tools for transformation. We know that. But it really is, like you say, we're inhabiting this extraordinary space and it can be very easy to forget um, that there's a consensus reality that uh, I guess doesn't necessarily have those lenses. Um, Yeah. I think that, you know, this conscious leadership, I think people like you, People like me who just, you know, badger people to talk about their <laughs> not ordinary or extraordinary experiences so that we get this conversation rolling, you know, yeah. and it rolls yeah. out into the consensus. And then critical mass has people waking up because when enough people are having this conversation, you know, when I look out onto the internet, it looks like to me, it looks like everyone's having this conversation, but <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not looking at, you know, people sort of like Kardashians and stuff like that where there are literally billions of people that are I forget that people's focus is on things that it's not what I'm focused on so we need to get this conversation rolling and out into the world. I agree completely and I think the more that we can do exactly like what we're doing here examples of lived experiences where people are doing this it helps normalize the conversation more and more I spoke with a woman just the other day who has not shared her experience before and she's been having, I mean, she walks around and she's having full-blown premonitions of of people and what's about to happen, big things in their lives. And this is her ordinary. She's very used to this. But, of course, there's repercussions of that because she keeps bumping up against it in the world where, you know, other people are going, "I, I either don't want to hear it, I don't want to be part of it, it's too much for me. Um, or of course, once it really taps on and it's real and people know it's true, they want to know more, but people get scared of going down that road as well. So the trust issue is, is huge there. And, you know, I, I get brought back to reality, if you will, the consensus reality when I hear really sad statistics, like the, the phenomenal rates of youth suicide, for example, you know, the, the numbers are on the rise more funding money, at least in Australia, is being thrown into mental health services than ever before, and yet the rates continue to rise. Something is very wrong. There is a piece missing in how we are dealing with who we are as humans and our well-being as a peoples. There are fundamental pieces of the conversation missing, and I think this, what we're doing here, and what tribe, tribe, you know, our surrounding folks, I really think that has um, important pieces to contribute to that conversation without getting too derailed also. Absolutely. You know, you introduced me to that beautiful woman, Katie. Now, what's her last name? Oh, Katie Bottram. 
who you've had on your show who's in the UK mm. who's on a mission to help people who have been diagnosed with mental illness that they're actually not mentally ill, they're just having a non-ordinary transcendent experience or a spiritual awakening. Yep. And, uh, yeah, so it's, it feels a bit like you're like when your empathy kicks in especially, it can feel like you're going crazy. And uh, maybe this, you know, this is creating a net to catch these people so they're not drugged up and, and labelled as schizophrenics or, you know, my girlfriend who died that I talk, told you about that I took my daughter to see in the coffin, she had a year of depression before she died and the, her family put her in some facilities and she came out of those facilities because she was very psychic and she said, God, the people in there are amazing. They're so psychic. They're talking to all these people. They're not mad at all. And I remember, yeah, yeah. They're just these amazing, they just seem completely insane because they're having conversations out loud with spirit that other people can't see, but they're having these conversations out loud as opposed to in their head because it's so real to them and, um, and, and traveling dimensions and talking about things that, you know, and to, to the norm, to the, to the ordinary person just seems batshit crazy, but they're just incredible people. So that's a big net that needs to be cast to catch people. Who, yeah. Who are not going crazy. They're just having a spiritual awakening. <laughs> And, and it's not to say that everyone is having a spiritual awakening also. You know, we need to, to walk that path with discernment. However, what if we had alternate ways of having these conversations within the system that we have so that people that are genuinely going through something where simply, you know, changing tack a little bit, sitting down and having conversations, allowing creative spaces allowing safe spaces to simply be with those processes were available, we would have different outcomes. The taxpayer would be putting less into the system. <laughs> There's a motivation. <laughs> so in your book notes, uh, you talk, talk about a few people that have had any, some, and some spiritual awakenings, not ordinary transcendent experiences. Um, do you want to talk about some of your favourite that you've met? Ooh, oh, gee, it's so varied. Um, I mean, we had one woman who was a spontaneous healing experience. And um, yeah, I'll share about her because this is a pretty, in light of what we've been talking about, this fits in nicely. So she, uh, by trade, was a journalist, very out there in the world, very into the world and its matters. She would not describe herself as a spiritual person at all. And she said the only experiences she ever had that made her feel that sense of um, beauty and awe were when she would either hear really profound classical music or when she would go to the gallery and be moved by a piece of artwork. Beautiful. Now, this woman ended up with a serious diagnosis of cancer terminal. Um, went to the hospital and they pretty much said, look, you won't be walking within a few months. Like it, it was like end of the line kind of statement. So she accepted that for what it was. And by this stage, she was a retired grandmother in her life. So she'd done with her career. And um, um, I, I think she just accepted that this is, this is where it's going now. So she was in hospital and she had something remarkable happen. While she was there, she had a couple of days where she went in and out of her regular states of consciousness whether it was to do with the treatment, she's not quite sure. One day she kind of snapped out of it, looked at the end of her bed and there was her deceased mother sitting at the end of her bed. 
and she had this conversation with her deceased mother and the mother essentially was saying it's not your time yet and she was a bit weirded out by this experience but having a logical mind she was thinking well it's probably just the drugs the treatment that you know i'm seeing things now i must be really close if i'm seeing things now was was part of her thinking then something really interesting happened. She started seeing with her physical eyes an angel in the room. Now, this is a woman who had no interest, didn't identify as spiritual, nada, 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 nada. With her physical eyes, she saw, and she says, as real as you or me, like you could touch as real as you or me, in the room. And this golden angel, and she said it was like a Renaissance picture, would move around in the room and sit in a couple of different spots and was there for her through her experience at the hospital. She also met a remarkable um, nutritionist who helped her understand that the mind is a creative force and we can create our reality. Mm. And this was a human person, living human, yeah, and yeah. She worked with this woman and she visioned herself that, no, I'm not going to not be walking in three months. I'm going to walk out of this hospital. And so she constructed that reality for herself. And sure enough, she surprised all the doctors. She had a, what they call in medicine a spontaneous healing uh, recovery. They don't know what happened. So she had a, a miracle occurred and she walked out no more treatment, no more nothing. She shed a whole heap of weight along the way. And, um, and she walked out of that hospital when they said she wouldn't. So she is one of a series of many different right. types of experiences. And exactly. so our conversation was, and then what, you know, like if you go through something incredible like that, what kind of human are you in the world? Like, how does that change you? Mm -hmm. um, and she is, you know, she goes around now performing daily random acts of kindness, often anonymous, because there's no need in her to have that recognition. She just wants them to make the world a more beautiful place because she had such a beautiful experience. And if that means paying for someone's coffee or, you know, providing a newspaper for someone when they're sitting there, like even the smallest things, but she creates more beauty in the world. Yeah. Is she still working in a, a corporate sort of mainstream job or? No, 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 no. Retired. And, oh, yeah. retired. So she was sort of older when this disease, yep. like when she got cancer. Yeah, I think she was in her 60s, 60. maybe a little okay. older. Yeah. Retired. Um, did she talk to the angel? Like I'm asking you all these questions. Yes, and I yeah, ask absolutely. And what did the angel say to her? So really practical advice, actually. So yeah, she yeah. had this angel visiting her in the hospital when there wasn't conversation, but she found that she could have communication with the angel afterwards, but she couldn't see the angel. She okay. would occasionally find feathers on places like an indoor kitchen bench yeah. where there's no, how does that get there? Uh, and no one else would have been in the house. She couldn't, she didn't have the gift of then seeing the angel, but she could hear and have audible conversations and she knew who it was by that stage. And so she got really practical advice in terms of how to live her life afterwards. Eat these foods, don't eat these foods, cold, hot, very practical instructions in how to maintain and care for her body afterwards. Wow. Did the angel have a name? Oh, I love angel stories. I don't know. I don't, I didn't ask. <laughs> I'm so envious of people that can see the angels with their outside eyes, as they call it. You know, I've had a couple of people on the show that have done that, or even Howard Storm, who had a near-death experience and he saw a, a mess of angels. But um, they said, 
um, they appeared as lights, all these magnificent lights. And they said, uh, do you want us to show up as, you know, in a human form? And he said, no, 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 no. Cause he was like angry with humanity at that point. <laughs> <laughs> but he knew he was talking to the angels. Oh, I love the angels. Mm. Oh, that's so cool. That's very cool. But they can incarnate, you know, I had Lorna Byrne on the show who sees spirit and, and, and angels through her outside eyes with her physical eyes and has done since she was a kid. Now, she was deemed as autistic. No, you know, that in those days, because she's in her 60s now, they called her retarded is what they called her because she couldn't read or write, but she could talk to spirit. And she said that everything she learned, she learned through spirit talking to her. But, yeah, she's got many stories of an, angelic beings manifesting as physical they know how to do that they know i don't know i don't know either they're physical or we perceive them as physical but we perceive them through our five senses as physical like we could poke them and they feel real and um she's walked with archangel michael and a monastery when she was a kid she used to go and hang out at this monastery and one of the monks walked past and said hello to him and she looked at him and said that guy could see you and he goes yeah today i'm looking you know i'm real because <laughs> she couldn't tell if other people could see them or not. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But to see subtle energy through our, you know, the lens of our physical apparatus, you know, our physical eyes, that's, um, that's I think that's exciting. I think that's yeah. Beautiful. And I love that story particularly because this is someone who never sought to have those experiences. Yeah. It happened. And so she for herself had her rational and um, critical mind kick in and say, what's this about? It wasn't wishful thinking. Something appeared to her and then she continued to interact with it and through that she changed. But isn't it interesting? She must have had some desire. When I, I talk to people like this, I sort of ask, there was some desire within you, even if that desire was, I wish I'd die, I hope I won't die. But there are people that have that really strong desire to have those, you know, they might be dying of a terminal, like they have a really strong desire to have a, a divine intervention and it doesn't happen. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, it's interesting. I guess it's all about what your soul's up to, the soul plan. Mm. Yeah, there's so much we don't know. <laughs> so much we don't know. Yeah. Getting a bit of a glimpse of it. <coughs> you know, the thing is that stay, don't stay to your soul, irrelevant. It's kind of like being on holiday. Stay, go home, irrelevant. You know, where you are is where you are, <laughs> whether you're in a body or not in a body or in France or in Australia or wherever you are is where you are. Okay, any other, any other um, amazing stories? Like yeah, that? I think one that I should share because he's an important example and I share it because um, he had a plant medicine experience and plant right. medicine is becoming very popular these days yeah, and um, there's a lot of folks having remarkable awakenings from it and there's a lot of people that are getting a bit wonky um, and also um, there's a lot of shoddy practitioners out there as well. So I think this is an important conversation to have right now. Um, <clears throat> so one guy, um, how did his happen? He had a near-death experience when he was 16 years old. He was snowboarding um, and in, in America on New Year's Eve. Snowboarding and they're going down and he crashed and ended up bleeding internally and had to be medevaced out of there. And so the helicopter came, took him, and um, he essentially died on the table. Lots of blood, all the rest. Mm. Um, and he was given an anesthetic. And as he was drifting out, he remembers um, he could hear the conversations of what was going on at the time. And he was just feeling incredible love 
and peace and bliss as he was leaving um, his form. But he was given an anesthetic. So the experience um, ended there for him until he woke up. But when this young 16-year-old awoke, he felt that on his body he had a map of humanity that explained social wiring and how the world works. He just got it. Now, he didn't know how he got it. And because he had that anesthetic, he couldn't trace in his mind as well. Whereas you have other people who, when they have a near-death experience, you know, their consciousness leaves the body, they go somewhere, they travel, they remember, they come back and they have a story. He didn't have any of that, yet he had a sense that something had happened within that time. Yeah. So he actually came back as, as a kid, had to go back into school, and yet he understood the social fabric and wiring of people and humanity. Now, can you imagine a 16-year-old going back into high school with that kind of an understanding? He went nuts. He was looking at the school system going, why are we doing this? What is this about? So he went into deep depression. He became suicidal. He went on substances. He didn't care anymore, you know, his his physical form. He was like, this is, no. Um, and of course, no one could really understand what he had been through. And he himself didn't really know what he'd been through other than he'd experienced something extraordinary. Again, teenager didn't have the language for it. So his journey, he didn't end his life, but his experimental journey took him down some roads of being a consciousness explorer, let's say. Mm. So he tried mushrooms. He um, was into other consciousness-altering substances. Eventually, he came with uh, holotropic breathwork as well, developed by Stanislav Grof, which, of course, has a history in um, consciousness-altering substances. But because they got banned, Stan Grof created this breathing method where you use breath and music and sound and profound experiences to have those. So he ventured and he went deep into it. He ended up going to alternate galaxies and meeting other beings and having these conversations. Are you my mind? Are you external to me? Are you God? What are you? Are you tricksters? And funny enough, he then read some works later on. I think it was Terence McKenna, where Terence McKenna, who also a journeyer in consciousness, very well-known one, actually talked about these little aliens as well. Um, in these, the same characters that he had encountered along the way, the same beings. And he was totally tripped out by that because he realized that it was not part of his imagination. He had tapped into some kind of reality that is out there that others had also shared. So it was hugely validating for him. Now, plant medicine was helpful for him. It opened doorways of memory and understanding back to the near-death experience that he couldn't remember or the death experience he did die on the table Mm -hmm. um it was it was able to open doorways of consciousness to him to understand what he had tapped into so for many people you know journeying with plant medicine is incredibly healing and opening beautiful again the question is how is it done who is it done with? Is it in a safe space? Do you have tools and people around you to help you integrate and ground that experience as you walk through your human reality in the day to day? And I think this is where it's becoming a bit complicated in the world right now. So, um, as I said, he went on to go into breath work and study transpersonal psychology and has well integrated. He has a podcast actually for um, people um, in, with, with plant medicine and psychedelic substances. Very knowledgeable in the area. So 
I think this is also an important conversation that we notes, notes experiencers wanting the power of notes, you know, those of us that are consciousness explorers um, need to be aware of as well, because it's happening. I, I go out and I meet people constantly who are sitting in circle, having ayahuasca, um, you know, shamans are coming in from here or there. They're flying people around to do these things in their living room which might be remarkable and which might be very dangerous. Yeah. It's happening. <laughs> I think the intention that you do this with, you know, the intention and attention you do it with is really important. Like a lot of people are doing it because everybody else is doing it and, hey, you know, another high, which is, you know, you can still have a transcendent experience even with that intention, but you can also open up you know, demons that live within you, not real demons, but thoughts and, and collective thought forms that are sort of buried in your subconscious that are going to torture you for a little while because uh, it is a, a, an opening experience. Like what do you want to open? Do you want to open into higher realms of beauty and bliss and peace and love or do you want to open your subconscious and look at what's running you, the fears that are running you? Yeah. So you've got to be very aware and committed to your transformational journey no matter what you experience absolutely and and you know currently i think we're living in a spiritual um shopping center <laughs> you know any experience you want is pretty much out there and if you just look you know you'll find a direction where you can have experiences of some sort and you're absolutely right the intention that we go in with and the attention and to not become constant chasers of the bliss experience. Um, yeah. you know, Maslow warned about this several decades ago. And, um, and I think it was Joseph Campbell who gave us the phrase, you know, follow your bliss oh, yes. towards the end of the life. He actually recorrected himself and said, boy, I should have said, follow your blisters because <laughs> you know, you, if one becomes a bliss chaser, that too can become a trap in itself without implementing <laughs> and being here in the physical humanness. Nicole, I have never heard that. I've heard so many people say follow your bliss and I've never heard he said follow he your bliss. Yeah, because he realised people were all on the follow your bliss, follow your bliss, but it wasn't grounded practice. It was just like seeking orgasm after orgasm after orgasm. Yeah. And then after the orgasm, it's beautiful when you just lie with your partner and everything else just gets calm and you you move into relationship of the daily life but love deepens together it's yeah. not always about the orgasm it's not always about the orgasm well interestingly enough if you're chasing your bliss then you hold a thought form that you don't have it if you've got to chase something then you think right. that you don't have it and obviously your thoughts create so if you think you have to chase something you're going to manifest chasing it and not having it so it's going to be an eternal journey of chasing yeah instead of arriving as Deepak would say going from striving to arriving yeah so oh darling one we've been yakking away for about an hour now um I forgot to mention your books at the beginning I'm sorry oh, I got distracted yeah know, your books include the power of notes and you've got women of the wise earth and dancing with dragons what are those two books about right I should have I have them just behind me uh women of the wise earth was a collaborative piece done with 33 women who are healers artists mamas sisters dancers beautiful beings teachers and we it was a journey of the seven chakras and so we went to seven physical locations around Sydney 
Beautiful. And we sat in circle and we just, whatever wanted to come through in that space with that intention of being there, we let it happen. And so I recorded them and with permission and from that extracted just pieces of wisdom that came through when women gather and sit together on the earth with mm -hmm. a loving intention. Um, so that book is a very practical, fun, full of images collation of there's um, yoga activities, there's creative activities, there's just, you know, it's like when you pick a, a card from a deck, right? This is just a book. Okay. Like so this would be a great book for people that are listening to this conversation that are thinking, I'm one of those people who love these conversations, but I'm really not surrounded by people that do. Yeah. Maybe it could be like a bit of a manual that they could follow to create their own circles totally. or create their own ceremony or yep. you know if you don't know what to do or where to start just copy Nicole and then let it unfold <laughs> yeah yeah so we that's actually what happened organically so as right. a result of releasing that book people wanted to start their own circles yeah, like cool. I was getting contacted by people from around the world and these things were mushrooming so we started a facilitators group and all of that and I've kind of let the ball drop on that I will hopefully that's one of the back projects I hope to pick that up and make it a four project down the road but you're absolutely right. For the here and now, if you want tribe, if you want community, if you want to create that kind of wholesome community for yourself, and if you resonate with the journey of the seven chakras, not everybody does, yeah. but if that calls to you and you like color and rainbow, this is a really fun way to do it. And you like to be outdoors or you want to gather people. You can use this as a resource. There are pieces that you can just read aloud to the group mm -hmm. activities that you can share. If you want to make it very um, just spontaneous and whatever arises in the moment, you can do that as well. So um, it's beautiful stuff. I've seen people open these circles and one woman um, out in Colorado, she ended up, she's a horsewoman, and she took women out on groups out into the mountains, riding their horses and they were doing sacred ceremonies and it was like oh my goodness you know this is go do lovely things out there you know <laughs> go fly go fly oh beautiful and dancing with dragons right is is totally different so um after having bounced around in the very light experience actually dancing with dragons came first that was that's my own story um, oh, okay very biographical and um autobiographical it's actually more like the shadow side of the chakras. I was very into the chakras at, at that point, and that's been a pathway for me in my own growth and understanding. It, it's me moving through the molasses of my life. And, you know, and, and of course, of course I'm sharing my story, but it's done in a way where people can look at it as a journey themselves and ask questions along the way and have a framework for self-exploration. So I was looking at this pathway, dragons meaning like the archetypal deep forces that come through. So I was in conversation with these deep forces of my own being, uh, where my own restrictions were, where my own blockages were, and the things from my own past that needed to come forward and be healed. And that whole experience came about from three days of a non-ordinary experience for me, a note, where I was on a couch moving in and out of regular and irregular states of consciousness. I was high in fever and I had some spontaneous things happen. There was spontaneous shamanic journeying and healing through my ancestral lines. Um, there was processes of things coming forth that I just needed to be with. And eventually it moved to this um, really full blown fast process as we were moving to the crown now 
of um, my identity, all of the layers of my identity and self were being ripped away from me very, very fast. And it was quite scary at the time, actually, because I, the I that I was identifying with, was desperate to hold on to some sense of self. And at the very end there, I remember saying, you know, I am Nicole, whoosh, gone. I am girl on couch, whoosh, gone. Everything was gone until I was a single tiny speck of light. That was it. No more, no less than a tiny speck of light. <sighs> and that was my awakening moment, I guess. It was an awakening moment for me. Everything in my life changed from that point forward because I realized every construction that comes forth from that speck of light, if that speck of light is all that I am, everything that comes forth is a construction. It's a game. I can, I can make this what it is. I can have fun with life. I cannot have fun with life, but they're all creations from that point. The identities are creations. So what, and I love this, that you're a deliberate, deliberate, you know, conscious creator, because that's exactly the aha that I had in that moment. I can consciously and deliberately create from this point. So what do I want to create? So hence life from that point, and that happened right when I turned about 30, I cool. closed down a business, a healing center. I kind of had life crashes that had happened. So all of these outer world circumstances crashed. The inner world system crashed. Like I was brought back to zero, 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 zero by that speck of light, mm. which is also everything and nothing all in one. Yeah. And life was recreated from that point. So dragons happened. Dragons is a, is a summary of that. Um, and then Women of the Wise Earth came very soon after that experience because it moved from an individual exploration then to a group journeying. Um, and then I did my, my more academic studies in it because I understand the power of these experiences in people's lives and how they can so often be discounted or again, we don't have the language. Hence, I went into an academic study because Deepak Chopra was always one of my idols. You know, I thought he's a doctor and he gets to talk about spiritual health and well-being. I'd oh. like to do something like that too. So you wanted cred. You wanted cred in the because main it works. circus, right? It's part okay. of the game. It's yeah. all part of the game yeah. where society recognises, rightly or wrongly, certain labels matter. Um, I understood that. And so I sought the label. And now the question is, how to use that? How yeah. to then play the game with that? Right. So this then is a summary. This is the most recent. And this is a practical tool then for people to step forward with the notes and to help. My deeper intention with this is to help the conversation of notes to again, normalize it and say, these are remarkable experiences. And they're a very normal and natural and healthy and amazing part of our capacity as human beings and let's tap into them because when we do amazing shit happens and we don't even know what the beginning of that looks like yet like when people get together once they've been tapping into this and living from that space what is this planet going to look like mm -hmm. you know, we're going to solve big crises just like that we're going to totally change things but we have to action we have to awaken those things and get moving and do them. <laughs> get moving. And do them. Oh, I want to go back to, oh, that point of light. That is just so key. 
Um, you know, a lot of people in the conscious movement, spiritual awakening music, music movement, you know, a new age movement or whatever, even spiritual seekers are seeking to find themselves. I remember having this conversation. A friend of mine was putting on a big conscious festival in the country years ago and a young girl, we all went and stayed there, said, you know, I need, I need to know my truth. I need to know who I am. And I said exactly the same thing that is your experience. It's like, no, you don't find out who you are. You create who you are. You know, like there is no real you. There is just who you're deciding to be. You know, you create your personality construct. And I remember creating mine, like my sister-in-law said things I really liked. And I remembered saying, I like the way she says that. I'm going to say that. And then somebody else would say, I like the way that, you know, and I would sort of pick from different people and sort of put it into my personality construct because I liked it. Like I was creating myself. I wasn't becoming myself because who I am is a point of light that's just pure, positive, infinite creative potential that can create anything right so what do you want to create and I guess what that young girl was want yearning for desperately yearning for was connection with that yeah that felt sense of, of that and it was interesting the conversation because she wanted to argue with me and then I can't remember what I said to her it's probably something like I just yabbed it on then and it sort of struck her and she over the over the weekend she was just thinking about it, thinking about it, and then she started following me. And yeah, so it sort of hit her because she thought she was on this journey of discovering herself. And then I kind of rocked her world. She's not on a journey of discovering herself. She's on a journey of creating herself, and that she's got mm. choice in that. There's no there's no me out there to find. <laughs> there's only pure positive creative potential use it wisely yeah so sorry anyway i interrupted you keep going what were you gonna say yeah well no just that it really is a journey of tapping into that and i guess you know that's the language that we have around it which can be constricting you know i'm on a journey of self-discovery yeah yeah exactly what you're talking about there i want to feel what that is so that i can be grounded in that knowing of that infinite potential. Yeah. But without having touched upon that, the yearning and the desire is going to be there. The seeking is going to be there. Exactly like the woman you talked about before who has everything. She has everything except that that feeling of being connected yeah. um, to, to oh, that no. which is. <laughs> you know, she started putting pen to paper and she's like bringing through light codes and all sorts of things now. Anyway, it's all beautiful. Okay. So you are, we're going to wrap this up in a minute, but you are about to embark on a new journey, something that's, uh, I think, needed in Australia because, you know, many YouTube out there are from people with their notes, their near-death experiences. Um, the IANS, the International, what does it stand for? Association uh, for Near-Death Studies. And you are about to start one in Australia. First one in Australia, well, at least the first one in Sydney. I don't in know. In Sydney. In Sydney. Yeah. Sydney. We have a couple of other chapters around. Yep. Yep. There's an active, um, active chapter in Brisbane with a wonderful woman, Cheryl. Oh, okay. Um, yes. The other chapter's a bit quieter, but um, Sydney, this will be the first one in Sydney. So Friends of IANS in Sydney, it will be the second Sunday of every month. And we're going to start in... Um, uh, April. And this is a group for the community. So, um, you know, no one will be turned away at the door. And it's for people who have a genuine interest in what we've been talking about here. 
it's for people who have had an experience themselves, um, those who maybe your loved one has, maybe you're a professional who works with people who have touched upon the extraordinary. Just because it has the name IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies, we're not restricted to near-death um, phenomena at all. Of course, we attract a lot of that as a core pool, but anyone who's had a near-death experience or been around a near-death experience uh, knows that there's a snowball effect that happens anyway, and there's a whole heap of other non-ordinary phenomena that, that occurs too. So this is very much an open group. It's a sharing group. Sometimes there's going to be speakers that come forward to share their story and stimulate conversation. Maybe we'll have themes. We're going to see where the group goes. Um, yeah, just see where yeah. it goes. Yeah. I mean, you know, it probably will go in places you did not expect. Yeah, it probably won't follow the same protocols as the ones overseas. I'm sure every IANS group around the world is different. They are. Yeah. Some are talking ETs and some are saying, is there life after death? And yeah, so there's really different levels on which we can have this conversation. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's an open space for people who desire to share, be in a safe space to know more to meet other people. Um, it could be a very isolating journey for some folks who have never shared their story before. So we want to create a live space in Sydney. Um, where it's comfortable for people to do that. So um, I look forward to welcoming you there. Yeah. Yeah. So if anyone's in Sydney, it'll be, what, in, in Narrabeen and the tram sheds? Narrabeen, okay. yep, that's it, yeah. Northern Beaches. Yeah, you can uh, get in touch with me as well. Uh, hello at drnicolegruel.com and um, we can share details there as well. Yeah. Oh, beautiful, honey one. Yeah. Thank you for letting me share about that group. Yeah, it's just yeah. fun. I mean, it's always fun, Karen, you know, and I just love, I love these moments. I love these moments of sharing um, and expanding these conversations and, and what's going on in the world. I know, honey, you're a mover and shaker. I love it. We need more <laughs> movers and shakers. <laughs> you know, there's plenty of people that want to sit in the audience and listen, but uh, we need the conscious leaders, the mover and shakers, the people that are organized, you know, the people that take action, like you were saying. So that's so exactly it. That's beautiful. Thank you again for joining me. Thank you so much. This is beautiful. Thank you to the community of uh, experiencers and fellow travelers here. And uh, hope you've enjoyed our time together. I look forward to meeting in person one day soon. <laughs> Another wonderful, ecstatic, delicious. <laughs> How many adjectives can I use? <laughs> Amazing spiritual mover and shaker nicole gruel isn't she wonderful oh she's going to do big things in this community let me tell you it was so interesting that she said that she had this spiritual awakening where she went to the the zero point if you like where identity like everything fell away you know i'm not the body i'm not the mind i'm not the identity or the ego or any of it uh, i'm just a point of light and then came back and decided to study and put all these you know letters after her name to go into the mainstream community and to be able to speak about this woo-woo stuff with authority and yeah it was really beautiful to hear that that's not the way I did it obviously that's not the way many people do it but um just beautiful that she and she does she's a mover and shaker she's out there in the corporate world you know doing speaking to people about non-ordinary transcendent experiences in corporations and to groups many mainstream groups of um 
you know, leaders that have businesses and uh, mum and dads that don't have these conversations. So I implore you, if you've stayed to the end of this and you're listening to this, if you do have these conversations or if you do enjoy these conversations, start them in your own community. Maybe start going to, you know, physically as opposed to just sitting in your lounge room listening to me or watching me or driving in the car listening to me or on your walk listening to me. Start uh, having these conversations with uh, groups of people. Go join, join groups or start your own. I remember when I was young, I read the book's Conversation with God and I was so wanting to join a group to have that conversation and there wasn't any groups around me, so I just started my own. I just asked a couple of girlfriends into my living room on a Tuesday night. Then at yoga, I met someone at yoga who said, oh, I'd like to come. She came and then she said, oh, I know someone who'd like to come. Then he came and you know, it was before the internet or mobile phones. Word of mouth happened. Now we've got the internet and mobile phones. You can go on meetup and start groups like that. It's easy. It's easy. Life is making it easy to expand these conversations. So if you love these conversations and you listen to the show, have more of them, start your own groups, expand the conversation. Don't be scared. The lion beings are here to give you that courage to speak your truth, to um, allow others to speak their truth as well. Just hatching a plan with Nicole to put on a big event in Sydney, you know, throwing that net out into the community and saying, do you have a non-ordinary transcendent experience, maybe an NDE, an OBE, a spiritual awakening of some kind that you've never spoken about and you'd like to tell people about it or what's happened to you or share your experience and find out more yeah so that's what we plan to do in the coming months thanks again for watching the show and uh, thanks for all your comments too people that write to me and say that the show's changed your life that's so heartwarming heartwarming i tell you when people write to me and share that with me it's beautiful to know that the shows are actually making a difference in your life i'm not doing it for no reason at all they are making a difference and uh yeah if you'd like to donate to the show there's a donate button always under the youtube and i have been putting them under the soundcloud i don't know if they reach other platforms uh you can donate or i'll put nicole's books on my affiliate link on the website and you can pick up her books on my affiliate link and you can donate to the show that way amazon affiliate link and if you want to expand the conversation online you know we have the groups online i call the inner sanctum where i teach deliberate creation i talk about how we are the creators of our reality just like we spoke about with nicole you know we're not discovering ourselves we are creating ourselves like who do we want to be if life is a blank canvas and we can paint anything on it what do we want to paint on the canvas as esther hicks says we can create heaven or hell and it's our choice so yeah we are pure creative infinite creative potential join us in the inner sanctum i invite as you know people from the show once a month a guest teacher to come in and meet my little tribe and uh, I'd like to do more teaching on online too. I've been talking with men, um, Mary Rodwell and Penny Kelly about doing some more structured online courses, tapping into your intuitive abilities, teaching you how to be more deliberate with those. Um, you know, as, as you know, many of you know, Mary Rodwell has been doing hypnosis for people, taking them into these deep states of consciousness so they can access memory maybe past life memory or abduction memories or future life memories but access consciousness so we don't 
necessarily have to be put under deep hypnosis to access consciousness. We can do it consciously and Mary knows how to teach people to do that. It's really about tapping into our own psychic ability. So we're going to hatch a plan maybe towards the end of the year to do that online too, you know. Mary travels the world talking at different UFO and consciousness expanding expos all over the world. So she's busy. And Penny Kelly's the same. Brilliant. Aren't they brilliant? Don't you love them? I love them. Anyway, love you all. Thanks so much for listening to another show. Remember to get the book Awakened by Death. Fabulous read. And uh, I'll see you soon. Bye for now.